You're listening to the Joy of Preparedness podcast, featuring Richard and Skip talking with Anna Marie Jones, the Executive Director of the CARD program out of Oakland, California. We have a delightful human being. Um, uh, Yeah, people, if you really sincerely take on disaster preparedness, you're going to open yourself up to the rest of humanity and you're going to fall in love with people. Uh, Anna Marie is one of those people who is in the studio today that you are going to fall in love with, and I have fallen in love with. I've even fallen in love with Skip. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and good morning to you too, Richard. Good morning, Skip. (laughs) And good morning to Anna Marie. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. So we have a little bit of music that we like to, to play, so hang on one second. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we play. Okay. So I met Anna Marie quite a number of years ago. Do you know how many? Many. Many, <laughs> many years ago. Yeah, up in Sacramento with the Office of Emergency Services, and we worked on a project called the National Public Protection Policy, which went nowhere. So today we're going to talk about what she's done uh, with her organization card and resistance and delightfulness and all sorts of things about the disaster preparedness. So how did you get started in disaster preparedness? Well, I got started by um, nothing to do with disasters, actually. My little sister, Lisa, was born, um, and I was three and a half, and so my parents sat me down and told me that I was getting a little sister. And as part of this new responsibility, this promotion I was getting as being a big sister, my job was to keep her safe. So I took on safety with a freakish passion. I was that little nerdy child that would tell adults about safety problems like cords on the floor or pot handles hanging off the side of the stove. And so it's always been a thing for me for very happy, positive reasons. There was never a disaster piece to it. But I found out that adults love having safety-conscious kids. They give safety-conscious kids lots of freedom and respect, and um, cooler kids wanted me there when I was younger because that meant adults were so much more trusting. Mm -hmm. And then later, bosses gave me uh, raises based on the fact that things just didn't seem to go wrong when I was there. So for me, (laughs) preparedness uh, and safety... It was a childhood thing that had zero attachment to disaster. And then I moved to California and discovered, oh, you guys talk about disaster all the time. And uh, the rest just sort of, <laughs> it just worked out that way. So what is CARD? What do you stand for? And what do we do? Yeah. Um, okay, well, CARD is Collaborating Agencies Responding to Disasters. And we were created after the uh, 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake. Um, it was community-based organizations whose client base, when they're vulnerable people, so think Meals on Wheels, think senior facilities, daycare, any place like that. Um, it was those types of agencies that came together and realized that um, their clients became disaster victims even if the earthquake hadn't done anything. The minute 
say Meals on Wheels can't put their volunteers into the van and get that van to their clients' homes, then suddenly you have victims everywhere. So we were created specifically to address preparedness, response, recovery, planning for nonprofits, faith agencies, and people whose clients um, need more assistance. And that's what we do. We focus on making preparedness and all of those related conversations accessible and easy and empowering and just doable for vulnerable communities. You you want to talk about the websites? Yes, we want to mention both of those websites. Um, one is the um, Joy of Preparedness dot com. The Joy of Preparedness dot com is a place where you can go and find out more if you're listening to us uh, to find out more uh, about the Joy of Preparedness, and then also um, Anna Marie's website, which is uh, cardcanhelp dot org. And you can see the information there of what she's going to be talking about over the next while and maybe familiarize yourself a little bit more with it. And if you forget card can help, you can Google Oakland card and it'll pop up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a useful website. You'll want to know about it. Mm -hmm. So how effective have you been? Who have you talked to? I understand you give speeches every once in a while. Yeah, well, I, I get to spend quite a lot of my life going around um, the country speaking with um, different groups. Uh, public health organizations have found us um, and different community organizations, Homeland Security, um, various groups. Uh, mostly it's groups where they've already spent quite a lot of time, energy, money trying to make traditional preparedness happen and it hasn't happened for them so they bring us in to really help them understand um, diverse communities and how do you make preparedness um, a topic that people who are resistant to the conversation would be willing to embrace so if if i could jump in here because you you probably wouldn't want to list all of these people um but we can go through some of these people that are on her website if you go to um anna marie's bio um so some of the people let's see founder co-chair oakland chamber of commerce nonprofit roundtable lead facilitator of the ex executive work group for whole community inclusion uh, which is a CDC-funded initiative, uh, member of UC Berkeley's Cal Prepare Advisory Community, com I'm sorry, community, um, panel member, guest lecturer with the National Medical Reserve, Harvard School of Public Health, the Rand Corporation, Yale University School of Public Health. You know, it actually goes on quite a bit here. <laughs> um, so, okay, we get it. You've talked with some good folks. And here you are on cows <laughs> talking with us. You know, and this is a highlight. This is a fabulous, <laughs> fabulous experience. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So is there anything you want to say about any of those folks? It's, it's been a wonderful experience to share a different framework for preparedness with different groups. When you're working with the academic world, they're approaching, they are just entirely approaching it from a, a different space. And then you go and you work with service providers or a group of volunteers from like the medical reserve corps they come to the conversation from remarkably different places and it is equally thrilling to go to these groups and have them have their aha moment about how do you shift preparedness away from the burdensome expensive thing you have to do because horrible things will happen um, and i would say there's hope there is hope for 
the future that so many different groups are are beginning to speak up about wow i i know what i'm doing isn't effective what can i do differently because mm-hmm. for years people believed oh no we just need more money if we just put out more brochures put out more messaging then we would have a better result and now more of them are willing to look at the research and see that no you're not going to scare more people into embracing fear and threat it's just not going to to happen mm-hmm. so i feel um happy that such a diverse lot um is finding this conversation worthy of pursuit right are are any of them catching on or have any of them caught on sooner than others or more more effectively than others Yes, uh, without a doubt, public health folks are much, much, much more in tune to this conversation than some. Mm-hmm. And it's because if you look at traditional emergency management versus public health, in traditional emergency management, you know, just take fire department as one example. They can rescue you from your burning house, put you on the curb in front of your house, and they've done their job, and they didn't have to know anything about you. They didn't have to do anything else other than come put the wet stuff on the hot stuff, drag you out of the building. Mm -hmm. And they're 100% successful. You'll cheer for them. It's all good for them. Mm -hmm. For public health to accomplish any, any of their jobs, they have to know so much more about you. They have to know how do you eat and how do you receive information and how do you congregate you know how diseases are spread matters and and if they're going to help you to become healthier stronger they actually have to understand community better so for them this conversation makes much more sense mm-hmm. uh, much more um, sensitivity about diversity mm-hmm. for them it matters uh, country of origin and your trust level for accessing government services and your willingness to engage with different community groups so public health people have um, by far been more willing to hear this conversation and they're sensitive to things like stress right mm-hmm. public health people understand that if you increase the level of anxiety and stress that right there is a negative health outcome so for them, threat-based disaster messages aren't going to give them the result, and it's actually going to increase some of the negatives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cows. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really want to get more into the fear-based things because it's very important to me. Uh, I believe personally that we're in the middle of a cultural shift like uh, seatbelts and other things that we haven't had in the past um, and that we're moving away from dependency on others to self-sufficiency during a disaster both individually within your family and within your community within your neighborhood so and I see you as one of the leaders that's bringing this about cultural shifts happen oftentimes unnoticed Mm -hmm. um, and I think this might be one of those but your your promotion of of uh, no fear base. Uh, could you go, get into that a little bit more? Absolutely. Um, my background is advertising and marketing research. I spent the first 10 years of my working life in that field. And in advertising and marketing, you rarely will threaten your customers into buying your product. Rarely? When you think about it, I mean, uh, look at the major corporations, the app, apples of the world. Apple will spend much more time, money, effort 
seducing you, wooing you into believing you are cool and you are progressive and you're, you're that rather than trying to scare you into buying Apple products. There are, there are a few cases where fear works. Um, very short term. It's why you see fear-based advertising with um, politics, you know, the elections coming up. You'll see lots of that sort of fear-based messaging because short term you can get people to do basic things, but you can't force behavior change with that level of fear. And with preparedness, we're talking about behavior change. We're talking about embracing different ways of being with ourselves, our communities, just walking this world as people who feel confident, people who feel safe, people who are willing to mobilize their assets to serve their neighbors, their families, themselves. That is a long-term sustainable pursuit. So using fear and threat is absolutely the wrong way to go. It does not get you to preparedness. It gets you to actually something that we don't want. It's people fearing their neighbors and fearing what's going to happen what you really need are people who have that open, brave heart where they would extend their hand to their neighbor, where they would want to care for the stranger. That's what we want in society. People who will step up for each other and care for each other and protect each other and do all of those sorts of things. And fear is just not a good framework for it. Plus, if you research this at all, and you can see some of the research on CARD's website, it has never worked. It doesn't work for drugs and it doesn't work for crime and all of those things. So um, I am really passionately against using fear for preparedness. It can be a beautiful, loving conversation that helps people to mobilize their assets and mobilize um, their collective spirit. So making it scary is exactly the opposite of where I would want to see the conversation go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It seems like part of what you're saying, at least for me, um, is, um, I'm just reading something. I don't normally pause like that. Part of what you're saying to me that seems important is, um, we actually do come together and help each other when the time is when it's needed mm-hmm. and getting ourselves to where we understand, OK, we're trying to work with each other before that happens so that then we'll even be better prepared, better able, not even just prepared, but better able to help each other when something happens is, is part of that goal. Is that is that accurate? Um, yes. And the reality is, is that if we embrace preparedness from that really beautiful, bigger perspective you're really talking about an everyday basis. We've made our communities stronger and better. We're not just waiting for the earthquake, the flood, or the fire to be the reason that we step up and help each other. On mm-hmm. a daily basis, the world would be better if we were better able to mobilize our assets to accomplish what's needed in society.